0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. So now let's move behind the scenes. At Movie Beat, and first, I want to thank all of my recent guests and all of my listeners uh, and readers. Those of you who tune in for spreading the word about Movie Beat to your friends and your industry connections, for tweeting about it, for your emails, uh, for MySpace, for Facebook, uh, wherever you post these uh, interviews, uh, you're promoting my guests, and uh, this is a free resource, so I thank you for doing that. I also thank you for your emails and your phone calls, and for coming up to me in person and public. and and complimenting us on the show and telling us what you like about it. The official website is at www.rexsikes.com. That's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. And MovieBeat is really designed to be a resource for you, and that's why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. Now, you can subscribe to MovieBeat at the welcome page by clicking on the RSS feed right there, and you'll always be updated to changes in the website, whether that's up-and-coming interviews, uh, cast and crew listings, uh, upcoming events, premieres, parties, networking events, festivals, local and elsewhere. So be sure you subscribe to REXSIKES.com, the website. Keep in mind, if you're listening to this conversation live, uh, you can make us a favorite. You can friend us right there on Blog Talk. Uh, You can leave comments. And if you're listening to it as an archive show, there are also other great uh, interviewees, guests, and uh, information on the website, so be sure to uh, scroll through, look at the archives, and, uh, and check into those interviews as well. Before I bring on my guest today, whether you're listening live or to an archive show, keep in mind that you can share Rex Sykes with everyone through Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, or email, and by your favorite means. And again, I thank you for all of your support. My upcoming guests, just so you know, my next guest will be actor-director Nick Mancuso, he is going to be talking about his projects, about what it's like acting and directing, as well as uh, an acting system that he's devised. Screenwriter Dennis Vay, who also has his hand in the comic book world, so if you're a comic enthusiast, you're going to love that. Author Reed Martin, who wrote the book Real Truth, The Real Truth. Uh, if you haven't picked this book up, uh, it, it is a, an incredible read. Um, so we're going to begin a series of uh, interviews with Reed. Location scout and author Tim Moschensky is uh, also the author of... Uh, the A to Z Guide to Film Terms, he'll be following that. Douglas Dave Stewart is the writer-director. He's uh, written officer and a gentleman, Blue Lagoon, Boy in a Plastic Bubble, Thief of Hearts, which he directed that starred um, Stephen Bauer and David Caruso. Sound supervisor and recording mixer, re-recording mixer, Patrick Girardi will be back, uh, as well right, right after Doug. Returning, is going to be Michael O'Keefe, the actor, uh, Kevin Sorbo, the actor, Peter Marshall will come back and, and we'll begin a series on directing, and then casting directors Michael Sontag and Jackie Birch are going to be returning. Plus, we've got a whole lot more guests lined up, and that's just taking us uh, somewhat up into January. So um, uh, we've got a really good lineup. And I am thrilled today uh, with my guest. He's a very funny man. He's a comedian and actor. It's Mr. John Mendoza. He's the... Uh, uh does stand-up, he travels with Howie Mandel, he does episodic television, comedy specials, and much, much more. I'd like to bring him on and say hi to you, John. How are you this morning? I'm good, Rex. How are you? Awesome. That's great. Um, uh, let me just tell the listeners a little bit more. You've done a lot of episodic television. Um, uh, you've done episodes of Men Behaving Badly, um, The Trouble with Normal, uh, NYPD Blue, Dharma and Greg, uh, yes, Dear, Two and a Half Men, you know, and more. And so uh, y- you've done uh, a lot of different acting in TV, and, uh, and you do stand-up. Um, can I ask you how you got, how you got started?
0: Um, I went to a comedy club, Catch a Rising Star in New York, in the 70s, uh-huh. and I was watching uh, David Brenner on stage. And I went, wow, that looks like fun. And it took me years and years to get the nerve up to do it. And then about five years later I started doing stand up and it's been uh absolutely a blast.
1: Awesome, that's great. Now stand up I mean getting into stand up, it's not easy. I mean it's just, it's probably as competitive competitive as anything out there and um it's quite tough. How how um and you're well, in New York? Fortunately
0: Well, fortunately, you know, New York was great. There was a guy mm-hmm. named Charlie Barnett. Charlie Barnett, he had uh he was uh he was on Miami Vice and he was a, he was a comic and I remember we were all standing in line in front of the uh, Catch a Rising Star one day and he would stand there for you know 8 9 hours waiting to get a spot on Monday night at Catch a Rising Star and it would be you know you would be standing there with you know now guys that are famous and stuff like that but Eddie Murphy stood on that line and Joe Piscopo stood on that line and Uh, you name any comic that started in New York City, Larry David probably stood on that line. Every comic there was stood on that line waiting to get a spot for eight or nine hours. And you didn't just do it once. Sometimes, some guys did it for like a year, two years, and never, ever passed. And Mm -hmm. uh, I did it about four or five times, and I finally passed. But I remember Charlie Barnett one day standing on that line and going, and there weren't big comedy clubs then or anything like that. And remember Charlie saying, we are so lucky Something's going to hit, and we're going to be at the beginning of this. And next thing you know, comedy took off like a crazy person.
1: Wow, it's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I remember, like, Los Angeles in the 70s, I, there was, you know, Mitzi Shores, there was comedy. the Comedy uh, Store. I think the Improv opened up down on Melrose. And then uh, that, uh, and, and, um, the Ice House, Those are the I don't bigger. remember yeah, I don't remember much of much else at that time, you know, in, yeah. in terms of that. So in New York, I mean, you got a lot of people competing and was in LA and there weren't a whole lot of venues. And, and 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 probably prior to the 70s there wasn't much money in comedy, as I recall.
0: No. Uh, uh you know the, you 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 mentioned a competitive thing there, and when I remember I first started doing stand up, uh there were these two people, uh, Carol Siskin and Ron Darian which were friends of mine, and mm-hmm. we were new, and, you know, there were, there were all levels. There was, there, was, there was a level of comics that got on between, like, you know, uh, 8 o'clock and 9.30, and then the headliners went on from, like, 9.30 to uh, midnight, and then there was comics that went on from midnight to 1, and then there was the schlubs that went on, you know, uh, after, after 1 o'clock, and I was part of the schlub at that, at that point when I first started. Everyone was a schlub at that point. Uh-huh. But I remember Carol Siskin and, and Ron Darian, they would constantly get, they kept getting moved up, and people would come in and they would be interviewing the schlubs to see what it would be like, what's it like to be a schlub like, like late at night and not and not, not get on. Uh-huh. And you would literally sit there, even though you passed, doesn't mean right. that you got on, that just meant that you had the right to hang out in the club. So you would sit there, I remember sitting there, I, I passed in August, and the first time I finally got on stage was like in November. Wow. So I sit there seven nights a week for, for three months and never, ever got on, just waiting, hoping that someone would cancel or, or something would happen that I'd get on. Uh, and I remember one night watching, I, I watching Carol and Ron get spots and thinking to myself, I want to be like them, I want to be like them. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, you know what, run your own race. If you run your own race, you'll be successful. If you run other people's races, you're screwed.
1: Oh, that's excellent advice. I love that. I love that. As you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, this is excellent advice for hanging in there and for sticking to it and and for not giving up because, I mean, I think some people think it's way too, you know, it's going to be hard, but they don't know. Oh, it's so hard.
0: I mean, there's so many different levels of anything you do in life. And, you know, it's like if you sell a TV show, you know, you just... You know, you don't know, you don't know, walk into NBC and and they go, okay, we'll buy your TV show. And next thing you know, you're on the air. You know, then you've got to get a, 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 a studio involved, and then you got to get a writer involved, and then you got to get, you know, then they got to approve the script, and then they got to re-approve the script, and ninety people have to approve the script, and then they have to approve the pilot. You know, so everything you do in in this stupid business is is. Uh, Freaking level after level after level. It's you know, and and the problem with it is there's so many times that you think to yourself, you know what? Screw it, I'm out of here. I'm I, I I'm not. I I can't deal with this. I'm I'm done. Uh, you just have to hang in there.
1: That's absolutely excellent. Uh, I I just want to segue a second and, and remind the listeners that I have opened the chat room so that uh, uh, in case you haven't found it yet, you can you can always get into the chat room as well. Um, yeah, no, that's excellent, John. I mean, it really is. And 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 I remember the '70s in, in or around 1980, I guess 81, something like that, where the the comedians, at least in Los Angeles, were trying to organize a strike so that they could get, I think maybe twenty dollars, or I think they were offered like fifteen dollars a a night or something, and they were trying to get a set fee. Do you remember those days? Were you, were you in L.A. At I wasn't in Los
0: Angeles yet then. Uh, we had a small strike in New York. When I first started doing stand-up, we made $2 on a weeknight and $5 on a weekend.
1: Oh, yeah, see? I mean, that's just amazing.
0: And the amazing thing about it was, when I first got on and started doing spots on Oregon uh, I was I, I was going on. I was getting late-night spots, and I, you know I would come off, and I was just so ecstatic and so happy to get stage time that i was just you know i'd go outside and have a cigarette when i was over and like oh man this was really cool you know whether it was a good set or a bad set you go i just wanted that time alone to go and, and and just sort of like reflect on what i did and uh so finally uh time goes by like maybe nine ten months or something like that and i was working the door and if you work the door at the improv and at the time working the door with me was keenan wayne's uh uh, Joe Piscopo and a guy named uh, Howie Klein. Howie Klein runs Three Arts, which is one of the biggest uh, agents. They, they do the Office and, and, and shows like that. Wow. And uh, so finally, Piscopo had a, had a laryngitis, so he couldn't go on stage. He had a spot, so he says, "Why don't you go on for me?" So I went on for him, and I killed. Had a great, great set. And I come off stage, and Chris Albrecht, who, who ran HBO for years, he was uh, he ran the place, and he goes, "Wow, that was really good." He says, "Go get paid." And I said to him, I said, "You get paid for this?" <laughs> and they went, "Yeah." And they went to the bartender and they said, "Iro, well, how come? What, what have you been doing with John's money all these months?" He said, "Well, he never asked for it, so I kept it."
1: Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah.
0: So wow. you know, what did I lose, maybe like thirty dollars, or something like that. But, well, you know, right,
1: so, had two, two or five bucks, but yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, it wasn't about it wasn't about the money. It was uh, you know, back in those days, it was it was always about you know, just do, getting on stage and getting stage time. And even still to this day, it's never about the money. You don't get paid to do stand-up. You get paid to travel to the place. Oh, I do stand-up for okay. free. I love doing uh-huh. stand-up. It's, you, you pay to me to get there.
1: Aha, uh-huh. okay. Uh, that's, that's, that's fascinating. That's an interesting, interesting concept. Um, so you know we were talking about the '70s, and then uh, then ultimately uh, you know, y- and you were gracious. You 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 wrote a, a bio for our uh, the Sykes Movie Beat website, and and there, there's a point at which um, you know we're talking about the, you know standing outside at the Improv, but then ultimately you, you know you ended up doing the, the Tonight Show. Was that in the '80s with Johnny Carson? And
0: yeah, my first.
1: Uh... Or was that in the '90s when he was? Well, go no, ahead, I did Man, a...
0: My first spot, I think, was like 86 or something like that,
1: 87.
0: Uh I I don't remember. Uh, But I had done, prior to that, uh, I came out in 84 to check out um, uh, Los Angeles. And Uh uh, the first thing I did was uh, The Thick of the Night with Alan Thick. He hosted a show. And that was my first, first thing.
1: That was when he was doing, I mean, Alan did he did some hosting before he did around I mean before his acting or around the same time yeah or? well
0: he had a, he had a big talk show in Canada and they brought the talk show down I think Fox or 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 somebody like that uh brought it down and uh it had Richard Belzer on it and Charles Fleischer and uh they had a bunch of comics on there that did so like sketches through the whole thing and uh and I came to LA and Richard Belzer was working on a show he says to me, hey Come do a spot on the show, and I did, and that was my first shot.
1: Oh, very cool! Very yeah, cool. Great for me. So, so take us a bit, a bit through the the progression then. You know, from from because uh, I mean, I kind of jumped from the seventies into the eighties for you, but uh, uh-huh. but but then because I mean, but in, in the nineties, then you're you're doing some episodic TV. So, can you give us kind of a, an idea of the progression?
0: Um, let's see. Uh, I I. Moved out to Los Angeles in eighty five and uh and I did nothing. I, I actually what I did was I uh I came out and James Comack, who ran uh sure. going to Man and, right. and several shows like that. He saw me at Catch a Rise Star in New York and he uh he asked me to do a pilot. And I did this pilot for him uh with Lenny Clark and Bobby Slayton. Wow. And, uh, did that, and then, like, the strike hit, and it was, it was, uh, what is, oh, I'm trying to think of the, the play. It was, like, uh, it was about a bunch of guys selling real estate in the, in the Valley, and uh, it was fun. It was it was the first thing I ever done. I remember at one point, I I had never acted before. I'd never done anything, anything before other than tell uh-huh. jokes on stage, and so, you know, the first couple of days, I'm just sort of, like, talking the lines out and talking the lines out. And like the third or fourth day, I started doing something, and I hear from the speaker, and I, now I'm now I'm throwing acting into it, and, after, <laughs> and all of a sudden, from the speaker, I hear James Comek yell out, John, you can't act, just talk. <laughs> I went, okay, I'm fine, I got it, I got it. Uh, so I did that, and then I did uh, Dear John. Uh, uh-huh. I was supposed to be a recurring character on Dear John. And I wound up fizzling out, uh, not going anyplace. And, uh, you know, Dear John was written when Dear John, uh, Jerry Burns, uh, played this character. But the actual character was written for uh, uh, Dice Clay. Oh, really? And, yeah, Dice was supposed to do this part. And his father, I think, said to him, he says, you know, if you do this, you become mainstream. And all all you've worked for has gone out the window. So he Uh. canceled. So it came down to, like, Jerry Burns and myself. Uh, for the for the, for that part And Jerry wound up getting it And uh, so I just kept doing stand-up I kept doing the Tonight Show And I uh, did a few Letterman's And um, One big thing that I got That was kind of cool Was 86 they had uh, What did they call it uh, the, the 10th anniversary Young Comedian Special
1: Of the Young Comedians, right
0: And so what they did is They took a comic from New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco Toronto and Boston and um I was introduced by Richard Belzer actually. And I I beat out I well I beat out I, I was the one comic that uh that got picked to do that in
1: That's New York. Cool. Is, right. Yeah, That's Ellen DeGeneres, cool.
0: I think it was Los Angeles, uh I forget who was who were the other ones, but uh it was uh yeah, it was really, really cool. Uh you know, to to, to make it through that whole litany of New York comics, you know, you go back to a moment ago saying, uh uh, the competition, and it was right. never really competition. It was you know at that point of game it was I got lucky and uh, you know I got the spot.
1: I oh, don't know that's that's very very cool. Now, um, and then we fast forward into the nineties where you started doing you know more. You know, there's Meatballs Four, the movie, and different TV movies and and uh, episodic television. What was it like then? I mean you know now you've done that pilot and stuff and and uh, working with Comac and now you're now now you, you know you're you're appearing more frequently in, in television on, or on television. Yeah. Like both, in dramas, both in dramas, you know, I mean, there's NYPD Blue or DAG or some of these other shows yeah. as well as comedies.
0: Well, I couldn't get dramas because every time I would go in for an audition, I would get laughs. <laughs> I remember reading for uh, L.A. Law, and I uh-huh. went into L.A. Law, and I was supposed to play this cop that, uh, you know, was describing what was happening when he got to the scene. And as I'm describing the scene, all the producers in the room are laughing their asses off. <laughs> and I know at that moment I'm screwed. So I I it 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 I then started just focusing on on comedies and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So I just kept doing I I kept doing a lot of different comedies and uh, I kept doing the Tonight Show and. NBC kept seeing me and seeing me from, from my Tonight Show spots. And it was a guy named Rick Ludwin. And Rick Ludwin, who was the guy that was uh, put Jerry Seinfeld on uh, oh, on the air. So, so, Are you still there? I am, yes. Okay. Uh, so Rick Ludwin sees me one night at uh, uh, the Improv in Los Angeles and calls the next day and says, would I, would I like to do a TV show? And I said, sure. So my agents and I, we go in and we meet with them. And I pitched my idea, which at that time was kind of flimsy, and he said, "Fine." He said, "We'll do the show." And wow. uh, uh, Warren Littlefield was the head of NBC at the time. And uh, like I say, there was many, 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 many steps. Fortunately for me, I was young and dumb. I had never been—I never produced a TV show before. I never starred in a TV show before, so I didn't know what the steps were. So. If I would have known how difficult and crazy it was, I think I would have been more phonetic about it. But I was, it was like, okay, this is fun. Let's do it. And my first step was to get a studio together. And I, my agent said to me, listen, this is going to be really, 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 really difficult. You're going to have a hard time getting uh, uh, people involved. And the first people I went to was Bernie Brillstein. And Bernie oh. Brillstein, me, he said, uh, I walked into his office. And within, before my ass hit the chair, he said, I want to buy this show this show's mine, I want the show. And I was looking, I'm going, but they told me this would be hard. And then I left his office and I went to Paramount, the people of Paramount, said, we want the show, we want to do the show. And everyone kept wanting to do a show. And then I finally met with uh, Castle Rock and I sat down with the guys that, uh, which were the guys who ran Seinfeld. And mm-hmm. I sat down with them and uh, now here's everyone blowing smoke up my ass and going, oh, we wanted to buy the show, we want to buy the show. And Finally, I sit down in Castle Rock, and they're saying to me, uh, so, how long have you been married? And I go, well, um, ten years. They said, well, what's your children like?
1: And they started asking
0: me all these, these questions, and it uh-huh. kind of threw me off, and it was like, oh, shit, no one's ever asked me any questions before. These are the first people that are not, you know, just saying we want to buy the show. They're actually asking me questions, and... So they started asking me these tons of questions, and I, and the, uh, the other part of me got a little indignant. It was like, how dare you? Everyone else wants to offer me money in the show. And then as I was driving home, I was driving over over the canyon, and I got to like Coldwater Canyon, and I, it dawned on me. said, you know what? These people actually care. So I called up my agent. and said, let's go to Castle Rock. And uh, they were they were great. They were they were really spectacular people to work with.
1: Wow. and was that the the second half? Was that the series?
0: That was the second half. Yeah, yeah. Second half. Uh, Wow, Which
1: was,
0: uh, uh, kind of like my life at that point in the game, I guess.
1: Who, what, what I didn't realize was that that you that you had pitched the idea for the series. I mean, so that was that was that was something off of the top of your head. Mm-hmm. I mean, that came that came from John Mendoza. I, that I didn't realize. Yeah. I didn't, I, it's, that's that's fascinating. As opposed to just being cast in in someone else's show, this was a show that you got to produce and develop. Yeah, I. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, they came to me and they said to me, "What do you want?" And I said. uh I told him the idea, and then uh, two friends of mine—this guy uh, uh, Rick, uh, Rick Messina and Richard Baker—who were they uh, produced uh, one of my Showtime specials. They were—they also produced and were managing uh, Tim Allen, and they mm-hmm. said. And I was meeting with different writers and stuff like that, and there was a guy named Jimmy Miller that works with him, who handles Jim Carrey, and Jim came to me one day uh, and said. Hey, listen. I got these two new writers. They're really, really good. Why don't you meet with them? I'll give you a script. And I said, okay, fine. So they gave me the script, and it really sucked. It was, it was just really bad. And I said, you know, I'm not really that interested in it. And uh, so then he said, listen, they got another script. This movie. Why don't you read this movie? It's really, really cool. You'll like it. So I said, okay, fine. So, so I read the second. I read the the, the movie. And it was great. It was really, really good. And it wound up becoming... It was the movie The Santa Claus. Oh, okay. And so I hired them. And this guy... Uh, I forget their names. Uh, Leo and, and Steve. And uh, they, uh, the three of us wound up... Uh, I hired them. And everyone said to me, Oh, you got to get known writers. you got to get known writers. And they, they hadn't even wrote Santa Claus yet. I was the first person to read it. And... Wow. Uh, Fortunately the network was was because of Larry David uh being an unknown at that point they allowed uh Steve Leo and myself to uh, to write this pilot. Wow. Yeah, we got I got really really lucky and uh we did it we the pilot was and it was Barnett Kelman who was a director and Barnett Kelman uh he had done Murphy Brown he was a huge huge director in town at the time and he was like the guy to go to that did pilots and stuff like that. And uh, Barnett, uh, he really tweaked it and made us redo scenes to the point of nausea, to the point where you just wanted to kick his ass because he was really, you know, it was like, damn, well, we got the scene. He goes, no, no, it's not good enough yet. And uh, then we'd have to rewrite it over and over. And I, we would spend hours there trying to. And, and the funny part about it was we got to the point where we had to rewrite it so often. And we didn't like we didn't have a, really an office, and, we, and they lived in Glendale, and I lived all the way out in, in, the, in the West Valley. So yeah. what we did was we met on the golf course, and we wrote the pilot on the golf course.
1: You <laughs> stand around, or did you actually sit yeah. down? And write?
0: No, no, we'd be walking from hole to hole, you know, BSing about the, about what, yeah. what what we should do in this scene, and we would okay. we would literally write the, the pilot. On, on, on the golf course. And then we and then Steve or Leo would go home and they, they'd decorate it up and put it back together. And the original part was, which I forgot, was what we would do is we would take bits from my act. And mm-hmm. we would make scenes out of it. And I think when we first started, there were maybe like 15, 20 lines from my act. And by the time we actually shot the pilot, there was none. Maybe one, I right. think. I think one. But it didn't work in conversation, so we we just kept scrapping one bit after the next, after the next, and that's uh, that that that's how that that pilot got got written.
1: Wow, that's a, that's a, that's amazing. So not only are deals made on the golf course, but pilots are written on golf courses. So that's 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 the. But no, okay. I mean, it, it, <laughs> but but uh, I mean, I guess the. The idea is, I mean, it, I mean, it, all of this, everything that you've described so far, has taken a lot of work and has taken a lot of stick to itness and has taken a lot of dedication, um, you know. And, and yet you bring it to fruition, you know, by staying with it and 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 teaming up with you know apt people and things like that. So that, that's it's, it's fascinating to listen to. What was it like when? I mean, you you know, you now have you know starring in your own series, you know, you, you've written you know this kind of thing, and um, and then after the series, appearing in uh, Episodic TV, how how, does it, how is it different? Let me ask you that for our listeners. How is it different going from the series that you're in that you're responsible for to going as a guest on some other show?
0: Um, hey, you know, that's a great question. Uh, at first you don't want to do it, you know, uh-huh. because uh, it's like, well, you know, damn, I, I, I know how to produce this. I know I know what to do, and the scene isn't working. You can't say the scene isn't working. You've got to basically just keep your mouth shut and do the scene the way they want you to do it. Um, uh, NYPD Blue, I had read for NYPD Blue maybe 15, 16 times, different parts, over oh. and over again. And there's one part I was... Uh, so one day my agent works, wakes me up, uh, like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, the and he says, uh, they want to see you for NYPD Blue. And I said, you know what? I've read from 15, 16 times. I'm not going to read from them again. If they want me, just, you know, either give me the part or go kiss my ass. And they went, and so he said, no, come on. Will you just one last time? Just get off your ass, drive over there, and do the audition. So I went over there, and I didn't even read the, the, the audition scene yet. And I walked in, I sat down, I read it really quick, and I walked in, and, uh... I said to the producers, and I said, okay, here we go again. Here's another waste of time for everybody. And I read the scene, just blah, 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 blah. I was a bartender. And when it was over, they went, okay, you got the part. <laughs> and I was wow. like, really? I should have done that 16 times ago. I would have. They went, yeah. And he asked. Uh, you know, it, it depends. When I did Men Behaving Badly, I kind of, uh, I went to the producers uh, I forget who was the guy who was the lead character in the first year. He quit the show. And uh, so the second year. And I and I knew uh, someone at NBC, and they were looking for people. And I said to him, I said, I got an idea for a character on the show. I said, are you willing to listen? And he said, yeah, sure. So I told him the character. He said, oh, okay, I'll pass it on. So he passed it on to producers. The producers liked it. So they brought me in as a recurring character. And uh, I was friends with Rob Schneider, so it was easy for me to uh-huh. do that. Uh but most of the times, it was you know, most of the, you know, most of the jobs that you get or I got have always been because someone either knew my act or I was friends with somebody, and uh, I don't think I've really, you know, I've auditioned maybe about a dozen times in my life. Uh, one time I went to audition for a Christine Applegate show, I forget the name of that show, and uh I went into audition and the only reason I really, really went in for the audition was because my wife liked uh clothes from Warner Brothers. So it was Christmas time and I went to go buy her clothes from Warner Brothers. I said, oh, this is great. I'll get into Warner Brothers, I'll get into the lot and I'll go buy her a couple of, you know, you know, Daffy Duck shirts or something like that. So uh, pajamas. So I walked in, I went to the audition and I started doing the scene and the producer said to me, He Ah, forget it. And I said, What are you talking about? He says, You already got the job and I said, What are you talking oh. about? He says, Well when I was 16 years old, my father brought me to the improv in, in New York, and I watched you do stand-up, I watched everyone do stand-up, and you finished doing your set, and I went outside to ask you a couple of questions. You sat with me for an hour, and you explained to me all about writing comedy and writing jokes and stuff like that, and it was so cool that uh, I always said, if I ever get to a point where I can repay this person back, I'm going to pay him back, and this is, this is payback today.
1: How sweet. That is so cool.
0: Yeah, as, yeah. and I, as, I I forgot to buy the pajamas for my wife.
1: <laughs> now that's awesome, and, and and I mean, but it's a point well taken that you know, I mean, you worked, you be, you became visible, you're you're good at what you do, and and people recognize it. But it's also where you say, you know, it's friends and connections. I mean, a lot of times, I think people, you know, they think it's it's it, you know, it is who you know, but it's also who knows you, and yeah. and. And the, the more that you can make your work stand out and shine, the more, the, you know, the more demand a person can be in. I, and so, um, you know, you it, 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 I'm sorry?
0: You have to stay as visible as possible. Because if you don't, oh, right. then you all of a sudden, you know, people forget who you are, which is what's happened in the last few years. So it's it is an interesting little phenomenon
1: um there's a lot i mean john i got a lot that i want to ask you i mean you know you pre- you, you know you, the, the i want to ask you about sardines that you produced and, and about writing comedy and and how to be funny i want to talk to you about you know your your road shows the tours uh, working with howie mandel we've got about a we've got you know maybe like 25 minutes left here i got to take a small break and and then just come back all i need to do really is remind the listeners that they're listening to rex sykes movie beat at rexsikes.com. And uh, we encourage you to go ahead, you can post the links to uh, interviews as long as you use them uh, in their completion, and they're not altered in any way. Uh, but I really like it when you do spread the word and make this resource available to friends and colleagues both inside and outside of, of uh, show business. And uh, if you hear of events coming up before I do, you know feel free to email me. Um, through the website, as well as if you have questions for guests and you want to ask a particular upcoming guest a question, please email it. Put their name in the in the header and the questions in the body of the email, and contact me through the website or visit us in the chat room during uh, the interviews. Uh, but now, right back to our to our guest, um, Mr. John Mendoza. Um. All right, so John, um, uh, Let me ask you about sardines.
0: I don't know what Sardines is.
1: Sorry, it's, it's, oh, it's one of your credits, I guess. I'd, maybe maybe they've got a wrong credit in there. It had a TV yeah. thing. So I, I apologize. I won't ask you about Sardines. That's
0: okay. <laughs> There's a lot of things I've done that I don't remember or I've done that uh, that haven't gotten on. I did a lot of pilots.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And uh, it was uh, one of my favorite pilots I did was with uh, Robert Hayes. And I don't remember the sure. name of that pilot. Uh, from uh, from airplane, and
1: that
0: Absolutely. was a lot. Of, uh, then a couple of development deals. Yeah, I've I've, I've been lucky.
1: Well, it, it, I mean, you know, IMDb is is a is a great resource, but it, it oftentimes is not it does not have it all. It doesn't have all my credits. I know it doesn't have other people's credits. You know, it's just who who bothers to put them up and get them up. Um, and you know it, it is—it's true. A lot of people do pilots, you know, and and either they do air and they don't go to series, or they don't yeah. get picked up in the first place. So you—I mean, I forget whether it was Jim Carrey or somebody. I forget who George Clooney. I mean, I, one of these guys did like eleven or fifteen pilots that never sold, you know, but they just made oh, yeah. it clear of doing. Pilots. Yeah, yeah. I've so.
0: done—I've done I think eight or nine, maybe ten pilots that never got wow, to nine, never so. got to air. Actually, this yep. pilot I did with uh, Robert Hayes. Was got picked up, and then at the last second, they, it was between uh, Drew Carey or my show to get picked up by ABC, and they oh, went with wow. Drew Carey's show. And Drew's show was much better. than mine. my pilot actually sucked, but uh,
1: <laughs> it, was, it was really
0: bad. It was so bad. It was it was so freaking bad. They uh uh it was it was one of those pilots where every day you walk in and go, I I, I gotta get out of this. But they were paying you so much money, you didn't want to leave. And I remember one day just doing a network run-through, and it was so freaking bad. Nobody laughed. Not a laugh through the whole freaking thing. And there were funny people. Marsha Strassman was on the show. This guy, Tom McKeague. It was some really, really funny people. And then they – it just it just sucked.
1: You know, it, it's amazing. When I was younger, you know, I always thought that the the whole business was about art. You know, I, I, did, I didn't realize that there was a business side to this, that, that you should be concentrating on, you know, career. And that if you do schlock now or tomorrow, you may be doing art. But if you just, you know, refuse to do anything, you won't get anywhere. And I sure. had a friend who, who was highly visible in television who, who went on one of these, like, celebrity circus things or something. But it, it was like a football game or something that they did at Pepperdine. And I'm like, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to be a serious actor. Why would you ever do this show? And he goes, well, the losing team gets paid $25,000. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, but but why would you do this? He said, because the losing team gets paid $25,000 and the winning team gets 100000 or 75000 And I said, yeah, but why? And he goes, because the losing. And, I mean, it, yeah. he really had to hammer me with this idea that I'm doing it for the cash. It's making them visible. It's, it's, it's fluff and it's not what I would want to do. But it's part of my it's part of my income and it you know, so Yeah.
0: Well you know the amazing thing about that pilot was uh Les Moonvez left that he was in charge of uh Warner Brothers at that time. And he left Warner Brothers and he went to CBS and even though that pilot didn't get picked up, I wound up getting a, a fairly lucrative uh deal at uh C B S. So cool. it wound up paying off in, in spades for me.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely you know, um that is that is fantastic i mean uh, let me um there's there's a lot and i and you know what I'm gonna do, and um uh, I do this sometimes I'm just gonna ask you right now, i mean we've got twenty four minutes you just you just a little while ago said that you know you, you sat down with this guy who later produced and you spent an hour talking about writing comedy and and uh, structure of comedy and things like that uh we don't we don't have an hour here today, so I'm just gonna ask if at some point you'd be willing to come back and and continue the discussion, sure even though we're not sure. done yeah. yet I would love to have you back um. Because I, I I do and I and I'd like us to talk a little bit about uh, comedy writing and 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 how to be funny or how to make something funny, uh, but but uh, uh, and I and I want to come back and talk more about the the movie the show business and TV and all the things that you do, but I also you're also currently touring with Howie Mandel uh, and you do a lot of road road time each year. Could you could you tell the listeners some, some about that?
0: I'm one of the luckiest people in the world because I I uh, Howie and I met. Uh, at a Starbucks.
1: <laughs> wow!
0: And really? Uh, we would known each other. We did uh, the young comedian special together. But I mean, he, he he did it in Toronto. I did it in New York. Uh, there was a TV show over in London called. Uh, it was Saturday Night Live. It was Friday Night Live. And mm-hmm. when I went over to go do that, uh, they showed me a copy of a of a comic that did the show the week before. It was Howie Mandel. Um... And And there was always these events that I would always find finding myself just following Howie Mandel and so one day i we he lives like a few blocks from me, and I heard he lived there, but I never saw him and uh one day I'm on online at starbucks and, and he goes, "Hey, John, how are you?" And I tell him, "Hey, how are you?" And at the time uh I wasn't doing anything uh I just my, uh my son was uh going through some issues, and I, I needed to stay at home. So I was staying home, and now things were gotten better, and, and so we was doing better, and Howie said to me, what are you doing this week? And I said, nothing. He said, I'm working in Vegas. He said, why don't you come up to Vegas and hang out with me and do a, do a couple sets? And I said, yeah, sure. So we went to uh-huh. Vegas, and we started, and then that was six years ago, and uh, six years later, we are still touring together.
1: Wow, wow. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And, you can't and, ask for and, a better friend. No, no, that's fantastic that it really is fantastic, and... Uh, uh, you were just, I mean, how 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 often, I mean, how often are you gone? I mean, you're traveling a lot. I mean, I, from what I've looked at, you know, on the web regarding and things like that, I mean, there's a lot of show dates a year, it seems like.
0: Yeah, we're gone uh, maybe about 35, 40 weeks out of the year. Wow, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're gone. Uh, we're done for the year right now. Uh, he's doing a couple of things on his own. He's out on uh uh, promoting his book, uh, "This Is the Deal, Don't Touch Me," uh-huh. so he's out doing that, and I'm home uh, hanging out with my kids, which is really, really cool. But mm-hmm. uh, so, well, we do, we do, uh, you know, from small theaters in the middle of Ohio and Wisconsin to uh, Indian casinos, and and uh, we, we uh, we're constantly out there doing something.
1: Well, you're going to have to let me know when you're back in the Wisconsin-Chicago area, or I'll let you know when I'm back out in the L.A. area. But I mean, I, you know, that would be that would be great. I'd love to know about that and, and and let the listeners know and things. I mean, we can you know anytime you have something that you, you know, coming up, you let us know and we'll be happy to announce it on Movie Beat. Um, uh, that, that's that's I mean that is incredible. So how so? Let me switch just briefly to uh, begin the discussion, kind of. But how do you, how do you how do you approach Humor. How do you approach comedy? I mean... You listen. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: R- rule number one is you listen. You know, uh, people... During the course of the day, if you hang out with enough people or you watch television or you read or anything like that, someone or something is going to make you laugh. You just have to figure out how to make it into... You know, uh, basically translate Spanish into English. I see. You know, so it's, it is it is really... it. Re- it's very simple. I mean, you just have to be willing to. You got to be willing to make the mistake. You know, my I have a son. He's 13 years old, and he loves comedy. And he and and he goes to me, what should I do? And I go, just talk. And he goes to me, what do you mean, just talk? I said, you know, if you talk enough and you say it over and over again. Years ago, I did. I got called in by uh, Dustin Hoffman. He asked me to come in and do a movie. And mm-hmm. uh, so I went to his house and I auditioned for this movie. And he said one of the greatest things about acting is, is all you have to do is listen. And it's true because all you do is listen and you respond to the way people act. So your act basically comes from listening to things that people say. And I'm really bad about it. Uh, people say something that I think is really funny and I'll, I'll go to the bathroom and, <laughs> and I'll write down what they said. So mine <laughs> is just listening to uh, my friends and, and, and different conversations. I'll be like it at a restaurant or something like that, and I'll, I'll be eavesdropping on a conversation next to me, and I'll hear these people arguing about, you know, their sex life or something like that. And I listen to it, and I sort of, like, put my own little spin on it. And that's how I come up with jokes.
1: Well, that, that's, I mean, that is sound advice. I mean, the idea of listen, you know, observe, listen, hear. Um, mm-hmm. But the but the, the notion of the spin, I mean, it's it, there's, a, there's a couple of, of things here um that we can approach but for writing for stand-up or writing writing a joke versus writing a routine or writing for a screenplay or for a half-hour sitcom or something I mean, there are a lot of different, form, you know, forms that that this could take. But there are some people who, you know, you can sit around a, a coffee table, you know, at uh, Nate Nall's or, you know, Denny's or Dupar's or something like that and, and, and somebody will be just naturally funny. But that's not sure. the same kind of funny as standing up, you know, and being funny you know, on command in front of somebody on the Tonight Show or up at the improv, right. there's you know there's a different kind of, of thing. How how do you, how do how do you transform that? I mean, how do you how do you go from listening and and coming up with this kind of humorous thing? To, and then, I mean,
0: I hate to sure ask the, the question, matter is, I
1: think I think it's
0: you just have to be willing to do it. I think
1: you know you could say you know
0: you could do all the technical stuff that goes along and go oh well, you should do this and you should do that. You know, like, I, I, if someone comes up to me and says to me, you know, how do I become a stand-up comic, I will, rule number one, get on stage. And get on stage as much as you possibly can. And that's where you find, you know, the beauty of of starting out, and I remember when I started out, uh, I didn't know any better. You know, so it was easy to just go up there on stage and tell, like, you know, the the most insane jokes possible and just... <laughs> And whatever, whatever stuck, you, you did, and then if it stuck two or three times, it became part of the act. If it didn't, you threw it out. And one of the best things about not knowing, anyone knowing who you are is you could do that. You could just go out there, and, and, and then as time goes on, and if you start doing the same jokes over and over again, and people come to see you, and they've seen you again, they go, "Oh shit, he's doing the same act he did before."
1: <laughs> so you have
0: to keep on trying to add to it and add to it as much as possible. And But uh, for uh, if, if your question basically is how do you get started to do stand-up and write stand-up, just write it. Put it down. And, and and, and, and you know, there was years ago I had a joke in my act, and it was, uh, I said I went skydiving. One of the guys I went skydiving was blind. I said, you ever hear a dog scream at 10,000 feet? <laughs> but it never got a laugh. <laughs> It, uh, it never ever got a laugh. And one night I walked uh, on stage and I remember Jerry Seinfeld saying to me, he says, why don't you make it a German shepherd? Uh, and I, and the next night I made it a German shepherd and it got a huge laugh. Uh, and it was just by identifying it and, right. and making it, you know, and just try it. Back to the stick-to-itiveness again. You stick to it over and over and over again. Uh, and sometimes it'll, it'll drop in your face. One night I was doing uh, David Letterman and I was killing. Every joke was killing. I could have read the alphabet, and it would have gotten laughs that night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I I had a joke that never, ever worked in my life. And comics would laugh at it, but people in the audience would look at me all with this weird look. And I do the joke, thinking, okay, I'm going to get this out of my system. And the joke dies. dies. And I started laughing to myself, and I sat down. And we went to commercials. And David said to me, "He said, what happened to that joke?'" And I went, "That joke never worked before. I thought tonight it would work." And he went, "Well, you were wrong." <laughs> and he was. And but it's uh, you know you you just keep doing it over and freaking over and over. And over. you got nothing else to do. You might as well do it
1: again. <laughs> well, this, this, again, it's very good advice. It, it also it also. Uh, you know what, what you had said. It's kind of like good writing is made through massive editing. You know, the more you edit, the more you edit, the more you tighten, the more you tighten, and and it sounds like that's kind of you know what you're advising. You go out, you do it, and if it doesn't work, you get rid of it or you revise it, and you and you do it, and then you keep the stuff that works, you know, and throughout the stuff that doesn't, and you just keep yeah. testing it. You know, you just keep testing it over and over and over, and and pretty soon you've polished it, and uh, and um, and then of course one of my more favorite good-
0: lines about. One of my favorite lines about writing is the hardest part about writing is rewriting,
1: mm.
0: and it's true. You know, you can write you you write a script or you write you write a book or something like that, and you become married to those lines, and they're, they're right. just so you know. And then someone reads it, and goes, "Well, this doesn't work," and you got to rewrite it, and you've got to you know figure another way to make it work. Uh, so you know, it's it's. You can't get married to anything, and, you know, you just got to keep on trying it. And, you know, there, there, there's an acting technique in, uh, in improv, and it's called uh, do-over. And you'll see someone, and they'll go, you know, they'll do a scene, and the, and, and the audience will yell, do-over. And they have to do the same scene again, but they have to do it a different way. And they do it again, and they go, do-over. They do it a third way. You know, and every time it becomes different, and it becomes fuller. You know, and that's that, that's that's what writing is. You got to just keep making it fuller and more fuller.
1: Oh, that's very good advice. Very good advice. Now, when it, when but now you're you're talking about stand-up, and and there's a certain cadence or a certain rhythm that each comic brings to their performance. You know, your own personal style. Um, you know, is is there still that kind of unwritten rule or written rule of you know a, a, a punchline every thirty seconds or you know I mean because. At one time no. I, mean, I guess if if you look back at the sixties versus the uh, what comedy is today, I mean there's there's a whole lot more it seems to be storytelling in and comedy and, and stuff that or or exposition that goes on in, in, in stand up than there was at one time where it would just seem to be joke, joke, joke. Right. Uh, am, I, am I full of crap there or
0: No, I think it all depends on the person and and their style. I mean you can take like, you know, uh you know, I mean, I remember Larry David and I, years ago, uh, mm-hmm. we, we were talking about writing jokes, and we were talking about, as far as stand-up goes, that we were both very quick, one-line joke tellers. Mm-hmm. And Larry's biggest dream was always to be able to tell a long story. And like Bob uh, Bob, Bob Newhart, Bob Newhart would tell these long uh-huh. freaking stories, or or Richard Pryor, they'd tell these long stories with no laugh at it, and, but it paid off at the end. But you would uh-huh. sit there and listen to the joke and go, "Oh my God, where does this person get the nerve to keep on talking like I don't have the nerve to do that?" So it all depends on the individual. I mean, whatever fits your style is is what you become. I don't think there's a rule. I don't think there's. I, I think it's you know. I mean, if you you know, that's why so many different comics work different. I mean, if you look at Howie Mandel, and me, there are they're, they're uh-huh. totally two different types of styles. There's no right. Okay. There's no wrong.
1: Right. But in terms of in terms of uh, getting up there, I mean the advice that you've given so far, you know, is stellar. I mean, you you do it, you hone it, you you know, and and then just keep sticking to it. And you've given examples of that throughout your career, so I, I know that the listeners will appreciate that. Um, but when it comes, and we've now got maybe about eight minutes left, so we may not be able to do any of these topics as the justice that I would like to. But but um, uh, what about when it comes to writing for? Television. I mean, you were talking about writing a pilot and writing it on the golf course, stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's, there's a different kind of, you know, there's everything has to be done in about 22 minutes or 24 minutes, and and you know you have to have different acts, and and how how do you structure? How do you begin to conceive of a sitcom writing? Uh,
0: first of all, you have to know who your characters are, uh, and you know you got to know who your lead characters are, and and write to the strength of the lead character. Uh, that's the person you're following. I mean, if you look at Seinfeld's show, you know, Jerry, as as wonderful as Jerry is, uh, stuff like that, he basically emceed the show. You know, mm-hmm. so he so like, drove that whole show. If you look at uh, even ensemble shows, like Friends or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, they, those characters, you knew when, when Ross said something, that was a Ross line. You know when, when Phoebe did something, that was a Phoebe line or if you watch you know cheers you know you know you know you you got to know who the characters are and, and and that's the one thing that a lot of people that's a, one of the things that hurt a lot of television shows now they don't they don't bother servicing the actors they they wind up servicing the writers and if you oh. if you if the ego gets in the way then then the show sucks and that's what happened with my show my uh the second half is a lot of it was the writers wanted to service themselves as opposed to servicing the actors. And that's when a show goes, uh, goes in the toilet.
1: So it's the, I mean, in other words, I mean, you can, you can say something funny, but it, if it doesn't fit the character, it, it's probably not the best use of.
0: It's a waste of, it's a, it's a waste of joke. I mean, uh, sure. I remember when I was doing this one pilot, doing this one pilot, I had a line that was really, really funny. And they took the line away from me. And I said to them, I said, why'd you take the line away? Uh, that's what the, the, that character was saying and they said, ah, it, it doesn't fit and I went but it fits perfectly to describe what this guy is and they said no 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 we're going to take it away and I said come on please let me do the line I said give me the in the first scene I'll do your line in the second scene we'll do this the second line again whichever gets the biggest laugh you'll keep and they went okay fine mm-hmm. and the the original line was the better line uh, and and. and that well, that's one of my biggest problems with a lot of television shows is that uh they don't they don't write for uh they don't write for the actors they write for the for the writers
1: no so that, that makes sense I uh, appreciate you saying it now one thing I don't remember I, I do remember the show the second half but I don't remember was that uh, taped before a live audience or was that a, a, a yeah. film show huh
0: no, that was a that was a uh four camera show uh uh, yeah, yeah, where we shot it, uh, Universal. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, like well, one one time, the, the wrong audience came to see your show. And I think the they, <laughs> Sea of Adals Sea of a audience came to see the show, and they were just like, "What the hell's going on here?" <laughs> if you get the wrong, you get the wrong audience watching the show, you won't get any laughs.
1: Uh, well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah,
0: but you know. Uh, I love sitcoms, and I and I wish sitcoms were 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 more uh, prevalent in today's market, but unfortunately, um, it's not.
1: And I hey, think it's a lot because of writing. Because of the writing.
0: Yeah, I think there, I think a lot of I think uh, a lot of people started servicing the writers as opposed to servicing uh, the 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 people that, that are delivering the lines.
1: So, so in a in a perfect world, if if you were going to write a new series or or, or give advice to people who are writing sitcoms, I mean, that would be one of the, one of the, the the main points. Service the actor, you know, make you know, uh, yeah, know the character.
0: Um, yeah, people want to know who the characters are on the screen. They don't give a shit that you know uh, the writer of Friends uh, wrote this show. They don't know who the hell you are. They all they know is you know they want to see that character on. They they want to be able to relate to that character on television. You know. You, right now your your biggest uh sitcom on the air is modern family. you know those characters are very very well defined each one of them and it's really cool you don't know who the writers are you don't care who the writers are you're not supposed to know or care. you look at those characters on on t v there and you go, wow these guys you know that this, this woman is you know uh a hot latino you know uh this guy's gay it's 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 you get to you get to know the characters and that's what people want to know. you go to the movies you don't go to the movies you know and I never understood this. Oh, he's the writer of you know uh, the Terminator. He's a shit. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: watching I'm watching a baseball movie. I want to know about the people in this in this movie. I don't care about the other movie or the writer. Give me the movie. Uh, you know. So I mean, you know, that's that's why you know the Sandra Bullock movie is very popular right now. Those characters, are wonderful characters, people you 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 root for or, or you cheer on or. Or you, or you hate. You know, you you want to make a connection. If you don't make a connection, you're you're not watching anything.
1: Oh, that's excellent. No, I I think that's excellent. You know, um, there are a, a couple of points. We've got we've got you know, maybe three minutes left right now. But and so again, you know, uh, when we're done talking, maybe we can reschedule the time when you can come back and address some of these points and, and talk more about about your career and what you're doing. Um, but you know, comedy is so different. I mean, you know, the difference between comedy and drama oftentimes is, you know, you don't direct anger necess- the way you would, you know, at another person in a comedy. You might direct it towards yourself or towards a situation, or you can certainly be angry, but you're not doing it, you know, the way someone would do it in a in a heavy-hitting drama, or, you know, the the, the notion of a rule of three, you know, three times, you know, something occurs, it might be funny. Um, you know, can we, can we in just a couple minutes, sorry, your tips and suggestions or places people might go to think about some of these things when they're when they're writing, I love the fact that that you know you're talking about story-driven, you know, by being by connecting with the characters and having well-developed characters. I think that I think that's uh, you know great sound advice for people, especially writers, to begin to. As well as 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 well as maybe what happened with comedians, a lot of the shows that came about came about primarily, didn't it? I mean, did it in your case too with the idea of the character, like Drew Carey, or you know, I mean, they kind of come. The comics come with a character kind of built in that people can identify with.
0: Well, a character or an attitude, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I had a certain attitude when they when NBC signed me. They wanted they wanted the anti Bill Cosby. You
1: uh-huh.
0: know, uh, when uh, I don't know what they wanted with Drew Carey, they wanted so like, they wanted that sort of like you know a uh, local kind of guy that hangs out at a bar. That's kind of funny kind of guy. Uh, mm-hmm. The theory of writing for me always has been, if you tell a story or even even in even in up, if you're telling if you're if you're talking about uh, doing a uh, let's say driving a car, if you, if you do the bit and uh, you always you you do try and stick to the theory of three, but if it doesn't work, just bail. Right. Do right. It as as funny you know. Get as much laughs as you can, and sometimes you know you might get four or five beats out of a, out of a joke. Uh, but you know, you know, you know the rhythm, and, and you know your rhythm, and that's that's the beauty of time is you get to learn about you.
1: Again, great, and and one of the other things, Bradley, we, we could talk about uh, upcoming, or or you can address a little bit is it, the notion of of beats or, or comedic timing or pauses. I mean that that uh, uh, you develop a sense of, of of when to continue or when to stop or when to. You know, mm-hmm. before you deliver, uh, you know, a line or.
0: Well, again, back to what we said earlier, it's about listening. If you listen to the audience and you listen to the joke, and you know, you listen to the laughter of a joke, and you get it, you know, a lot of people wait for the joke to come all the way back down to the floor before they start the next one. I like to get the joke just about down to the knees, and then start uh-huh. the next joke, because if you get them in a certain rhythm, you can keep them in rhythm. I remember I did a Tonight Show one time, and I was curious. For myself to see if if it was more about rhythm than jokes, and I did several jokes that didn't work, but I did mm-hmm. them in the middle of the set, and it was all about rhythm. So as long as I kept the rhythm going, I knew that I could get them to laugh.
1: That's cool. That's very cool.
0: Yeah, it was, funny. So, yeah. It, was it was a nice little experiment for myself.
1: I th- I think that the thing that I noticed, I mean, in having talked to 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 you about this, is that when I go out, if I go to a you know a comedy club, or if I'm out and I see comedians. The difference probably between the novice who's getting up and and doing it and the person who's well seasoned is is not just that, but is precisely that in that uh, there's a, there is a rhythm, there's a cadence, there's there's it's almost like there's a definite beginning, middle, and end to their act, and they know how to pull you along, and and it's really kind of taking you on a roller coaster ride, regardless of what the character is, whether it's it's you know upbeat or or or, or deadpan, you know. You know,
0: it's like my son recently said to me, he said, you know, he said, I like so-and-so. And he said, do you like him? And I said, it doesn't matter whether I like him. It's, it's comedy is, you know, it's it's subjective. If you enjoy that comic, that comic's funny. You know, I might not like him, but, you know, if he tells you a good story and you're willing to sit there and listen to it, he's good for you.
1: That's true. John, we're, we are actually right out of time. I've got about 60 oh. seconds left to close the program. But I want to say you're fascinating. You're a good guy. I sure appreciate this. I look forward to continuing this, and, and you and I will set up maybe a time afterwards. But thank I'm you good. so much, and, and okay, a happy right. holiday to you and your family.
0: You too. Have fun. Take
1: care. All right. Man. I will talk to you soon, and and, uh, and have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thank you. Uh, again, thanks to uh, Mr. John Mendoza for uh, the insights into comedy and writing and, and acting and, and, and being funny. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm really happy that we've been able to have him on, and I want to thank you, the readers and listeners of Movie Beat. We've got so many more exciting guests coming up in the near future, so be sure to stay tuned. And please keep sharing this website and these interviews with all your friends. Also, you can become a member of the Rex Hikes Movie Beat Face Group a Facebook group by clicking on the group link at my profile page, or you can become a fan of of Rex Ike's Movie Beat right there on Facebook. So, all right, everybody, have a fabulous day. Have happy holidays. Uh, Stay tuned. Come back uh, for my next guest, Mr. Nick Mancuso, and uh, I'll see you back here on Movie Beat. Make your movies. Complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.